Hey everyone, it's Brian here with another edition of Beyond Prisons. Thanks for listening. For this episode, Kim and I are joined once again by our friend Jared Ware, an abolitionist and journalist, for a conversation on deteriorating abusive conditions within South Carolina prisons. Jay gives us an update on recent organizing efforts by prisoners in South Carolina and their comrades on the outside who delivered a demand letter to UN offices in the US, Caribbean, and United Kingdom last month, arguing SCDC is violating international standards for confinement known as the Mandela Standards. Jay walks us through the last several years of prisoner-led organizing to call attention to horrendous abuses, including intense restriction on prisoners in general population within higher security prisons. This includes metal plates on the windows, meal slots on the doors, heavy restrictions on movement, and little to no programming or recreation. We also touch on the disgusting, absurd games and propaganda wars engaged in by SCDC, including collaborations with nonprofits that serve to whitewash the Department of Corrections conduct and the conditions in which they force people to live. We'll have some links and other information in the notes for this episode, including a link to Jay's reporting this week at Shadowproof on the situation in South Carolina prisons. But before we dive in, I wanted to ask you to kindly rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to it. It helps people find it. You can also tell your friends, family, and comrades about us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and send us feedback at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com. Last but not least, we can't do this show without your financial support. So if you appreciate our work, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash beyondprisons. And many thanks to the folks who are already signed up and giving. It means a lot to us. Thanks very much for listening. Here's the episode. So, Jay, thank you again. It's really great to have you here. Um, I wish that, you know, when you joined us, when you join us on the podcast, we talk about happier, better things. But, you know... um, here we are, and uh, we're talking about what I think is one of the, um, you know, one of the, I don't know if you could really compare them, obviously, for a variety of reasons, but, like, I think South Carolina has to be one of the most terrible prison systems um, that I've encountered in my reporting and in my correspondence with prisoners, and um, we brought you on today to talk about a campaign um, that has been going on for a while, if you think about it, but, uh, you know, sort of a, a new set of demands from prisoners in South Carolina. Um, there's a lot that we could cover here, um, but I think maybe a good place to start the discussion is to talk about this specific action. Um, the Sunlight is a Human Right campaign, the demands that are being made to the UN, Um, And then after that, I want to take a step back and sort of situate this in the context of, uh, you know, prison organizing and what's been going on in South Carolina for the last several years, if not more. So maybe if you can just start um, explaining why the hue and cry of this action is sunlight is a human right and what prisoners in the state of South Carolina are organizing to demand right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both for having me on again. so, I mean, I think you you framed it well. I think that the point of this is definitely not to exceptionalize the conditions in South Carolina um, in comparison to other prison systems within the U.S. Um, it's specific because there are certain specific conditions in South Carolina that are being protested against. 
um, that are not shared at every prison system, but they may be more broad, you know, widespread. A lot of them certainly are. Um, and I think that it's also specific because the, the prisoners in South Carolina are the ones that are that are driving this, right? Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think it does go back a long way. These are conditions that prisoners have been trying to draw attention to since 2017. Um, they're conditions that if you go back, we, we did a podcast actually, um, on beyond prisons about this and we ended up taking it down. If you mm -hmm. recall, because, uh, one of the prisoners that participated in it afterward, um, actually had, uh, COs or prison officials going through the prison playing a recording for other prisoners and asking them to name who the person was that was in the recording. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually we, I ended up reporting that to the Columbia Journalism Review last year during the prison strike and sort of talking about some of the challenges with um, prison reporting, but also sharing the testimony of prisoners. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is longstanding. It also is part of, you know, they were brought up after the massacre at Lee where prisoners were just left to die um, for eight hours. Um, and it was brought up, you know, in tandem to that with, because that became the impulse for South Carolina to push for the 2018 national prison strike. So there are a lot of phases of, um, of kind of the prisoner-led struggle around these specific conditions. The the piece on sunlight, I think, is is important. Um, so people who don't know this, I think a lot of people are aware of this now, but a lot of people probably still are not, is basically, in a nutshell, there are windows in general population cells within South Carolina um, in the higher security prisons in 2017 the state had prisoners who work maintenance um, up, go around and put metal plates and cover all of the windows in the higher security prisons. Um, and so they, they used prisoner maintenance worker labor to put metal plates on windows that were existing. Now, interestingly, like prisoners, um, which I wasn't aware of this. I don't study, um, and I don't think very many people do, sort of international standards around uh, confinement and, uh, you know, prison conditions. But there are a thing called the Mandela Standards, um, and there are some basic UN uh, protections for prisoners. And one of them is that a window in a prison cell has to allow enough light in that prisoners can read by natural light and that it also has to allow for the free flow of ventilation even if there's artificial ventilation within the prison. Mm -hmm. um, and so that condition is actually against international standards on, on how you, uh, the basic sort of standards of how a prison should be constructed and, and the condition that a prisoner should be in. Um, so that is one of, one of their demands. Their other demands, I'll just go through quickly. Um, and that's, so that's where 
Sunlight is a Human Right was a hashtag that uh, one of the, it came from the iWalk account originally. I'm not okay. sure who came up with it um, initially. Um, but the, the organizers on the outside that have supported this campaign are a couple of iWalk chapters, um, a couple of, uh, well, Fight Toxic Prisons, and um, some organizers that are in, uh, you know, D.C., New York, some are connected to IWOC. I think some are just additional supporters. Um, there's an organization in London, and I'll try to come up with that as we're talking. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, one member of an organization called LANDS um, in Jamaica. Um, and so organizers from each of those organizations ended up delivering a set of demands to in in the UK, I believe they did it to the US embassy there. In Jamaica, there is a UN building there that's connected to sort of maritime law, but they delivered them there. And then um, in the US, there's there's UN facilities in New York and in DC. And um, they delivered to all of those facilities. The, interestingly, the UN kind of like pushed back, especially in New York, um, and actually in New York, I don't think the demands were technically delivered because they were escorted out of the UN by armed security. Wow. Um, but um, but that, that was sort of an initial phase. There's now a phase where organizers are actually going to spend more time working with prisoners to actually craft uh, a formal request to the UN for what's called, and I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation of this, but it's like a special rapporteur. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically somebody who would come in from the UN to review the prison conditions uh, in South Carolina and make a report on them um, for the UN, um, you know, human rights bodies, basically. Um, and I should note that, like, the U.S. really doesn't care very much about international law. Um, they don't sign on, you know, my wife has been doing some some research on the UN recently for her grad school work. And I think there's like 17 human rights treaties that the UN has signed over the years. And the US, I think, has only signed five of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the US does not, and, and recently, I think it was a year or two ago, the US basically stepped off the human rights body of the UN. Um, and so, you know, the, for the US, and, and also this is important when thinking about human rights law is like, most of the U.S. human rights apparatus is essentially um, a front for imperialism, right? Mm -hmm. It is essentially about conditions in other countries, um, particularly countries that are not aligned with the United States economically or politically, um, to highlight those conditions in those countries in order to push, you know, regime change in those countries. And that is a lot of how the the human rights apparatus as it exists within the United States functions. So we're still struggling at this point actually to find some counsel. So that would be something if listeners are aware of anybody who's, you know, a sort of fluent in international human rights law that is interested in U.S. prison conditions. Um, prisoners and activists on the outside are sort of trying to coordinate to uh, in the next, you know, hopefully month or so to go through this process of filing the appropriate paperwork to um, to formally do this process, right? So mm -hmm. the first sort of attempt was to deliver this petition of demands um, to make that uh, sort of internationally known 
um, and to, to draw attention to it. Um, and then they do intend to follow through on like the formal paperwork side um, because the UN does have a, a formal process for mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of that. The other demands that are there um, are about academic and vocational programs in the state. Um, they're about um, like expanding those, getting them access to, to all the prisoners there. Um, also, uh, you know, being able to get outside recreation, um, that is something that has almost completely disappeared from the higher security prisons. You know, I talk to prisoners and they just say that it, it doesn't exist at all. Um, and, um, you know, but the demand is basically to have it for seven days a week, you know, Monday through Sunday, um, and to stop using the shortage of staff as a justification to not deny general population prisoners outside recreation. Um, obviously, you, you know, I mean, and these demands, interestingly, I mean, you know, they're, they're crafted by a prisoner in South Carolina, um, that's not connected to any organization, you know, so this is a, in, an independent person that reached out to, to activists about this because they were so concerned that the the prison conditions as they existed in South Carolina uh, were so bad that they just felt like the hopelessness that already exists there is just leading to a real state of despair. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and so, so there's that piece. Um, and then well, the last thing. Oh, go ahead. Just, Finish just, up. Just, just, just the last demand quickly is, is just about diet you know it's just about the quality of food at a, a reasonable amount of calories um you know and, and basically um you know there's some other things about uh you know health conditions sleeping accommodations um but th those are the general just drinking water you know things like that right no i appreciate that thank you very much um and i completely understand and um, even agree with, you know, the critiques of the UN and the ability of international law to deal with this. I think for me, what struck me about the campaign and the decision to target the UN is, you know, what does it have to say about the point that they've reached? You know, like South Carolina has been pushing prisoners to a breaking point and been holding them there for years now. You know, like you said, this goes back particularly just talking about the sunlight part um, to 2017. And that was in the context of extreme violence on behalf of corrections officers towards prisoners. And, um, you know, you also mentioned that they haven't just haven't been getting recreation at all. Um, and it kind of speaks to this sort of urgency and helplessness that's just outright ignored on local, state and federal levels, I feel like. And so, like, I'm wondering to you, you know, and maybe your conversations with people, like what significance does that have, that choice to target the UN as opposed to like the Justice Department or the governor, you know what I mean? Like the 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 demand for international intervention, what does it say about where things are at in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the belief among prisoners is that they're that none of the bodies within the United States are essentially interested in addressing these conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that the, um, and I think that's part of the strategic element of appealing to the UN, right? Is that maybe if you create um, a level of international scrutiny, 
a level of sort of raising those contradictions within the United States, um, that that puts some pressure on South Carolina specifically to say, hey, we don't really want international attention on what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it's when you think about how this is borne out, like South Carolina has had, there is an ongoing case that the ACLU is involved in around prison conditions. Um, There was a decent article written in December of 2018 by a paper in South Carolina that's called The State. Mm -hmm. Um, No comment about that name. Um, But the, um, but they, they, the reporter there, um, did a decent job of showing, you know, how widespread these conditions are, talking to a lot of prisoners about them, um, and then kind of highlighting some of the stuff in that case. You know, I mean, I think one of the things with cases is that they take years, mm-hmm. you know, and and that they usually lead to a settlement. Um, and there was a big settlement in 2017 in South Carolina around their heinous treatment of uh, mentally ill prisoners, Um, you know, the overuse of solitary confinement, um, all of these things. And, you know, if you talk to South Carolina prisoners, they'll say there's there's not, there haven't been any positive changes that have gone into place as a result of this. Um, What we've seen is that actually is pretty much synced up within a month or two of when the, the metal plates started going up in general population cells. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get a you get a complaint that in a settlement around the mistreatment of mentally ill prisoners and saying you're putting them in solitary confinement too much um, and that there's a big disproportionality in the number of mentally ill prisoners that are in solitary confinement. And your response at the same time is that basically you start turning general population cells into solitary confinement cells. Right. Um, and. And the other piece of that that's a little less talked about, but it matters a lot to prisoners, is that um, they have the metal plates on the windows, but then they also changed the doors at that time to create a meal slot in the doors so that prisoners would be slid their meals in a general population cell as opposed to going to the mess hall. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know, you just have conditions where prisoners get locked in cells for basically, usually what it amounts to is that the only time they're getting out is maybe to, um, you know, maybe to make a phone call, um, maybe to, um, what's the other, basically, um, oh, shower, like showering, and, and showers were really wide, really spread out, like a week to 10 days apart, for according to a lot of prisoners. Um, and which is just disgusting, right? When you think about it, like you're in living, you're human beings, multiple human beings living in a cell together, really tight, and you're not getting out of your cell for a week out of the time, you know, and then when you do, you're, you're going to take a shower and come back. Um, you know, that recreation is supposed to be in cell, which is just absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I have heard from prisoners that there's been a little bit more like freedom in the last year, and freedom's a terrible word for it, but a little bit more movement. Um, that there are like times in the day where prisoners are coming out of their cells and moving around a little bit, but they're still not going outside. You know, they're still not getting that access to recreation, 
um, you know, they're still a lot of times not getting meals in the actual dining hall. Um, so it's still the, the restriction of movement is still really bad. Um, and, and, you know, I think in terms of that, so you have this lawsuit going on, you have the DOJ report that happened in Alabama after the 2016 strike, um, which basically said Alabama prisons are cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, it, that's what it says. Um, but you know, you have groups like fight toxic prisons and, uh, free Alabama movement organizers, people in Alabama that have been trying to, um, you know, hold the state accountable to that document. And, you know, they, they've gone, a bunch of them got arrested at the DOJ in DC recently. Fortunately, those charges got dropped, but, um, you know, it, there's not much movement as a result of that. So I guess that's the other part for prisoners is they look at something, they see something like that and they say, well, we could go to the DOJ, um, but the DOJ is just going to write a report about what it is and not do anything about it. Right. Um, and I think that's the way they feel about the legal process. So, you know, the question for the prisoners becomes like, who do we have to go to? What body in this world do we have to go to that's going to look at these conditions and say, yeah, you, you shouldn't have metal plates on your windows. You should be able to get access to recreation. You should have programming. Um, and so that's, you know, strategically, I think that's the, the reason why the UN was selected. Mm -hmm. Kim? Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, so there's a lot there. And uh, this issue around sunlight is something that I am, uh, more than keenly aware of, uh, not only because of my own personal situation and having a uh, vitamin D deficiency, but it's something that I've talked about with, you know, both of my sons, as well as, uh, with, with some other folks, uh, inside because it's, you know, my, my youngest son does have a vitamin D deficiency and he's required to take, um, to take vitamin D supplements uh, on a daily basis uh, because he was kept in the shoe for, you know, several years. Um, my oldest son spent three and a half years in the shoe. Uh, now, while there were no metal plates on the windows in their cells, their cells just didn't have windows. Uh, so, you know, that's something that I want to kind of, you know, bring bring into the conversation because I, while the situation in South Carolina has really been the, you know, the vector for this, this is where we're, you know, centering the conversation and they're the ones who are, are leading the fight uh, around these issues. It's, it is a situation that is happening across the country in prisons everywhere um, where prisoners do not have access uh, do not have access to daylight. And even going outside doesn't necessarily mean that you are in the sun. Uh, it, at least, you know, at Vaughn, the way it's been described to me that the yard is, you know, you have a little sliver of sky up at the top, but the walls are so tall that you don't, you know, like you're barely seeing anything. So it could mm -hmm. be sunny on the other side of the building, you get nothing. Right. So, you know, even having that kind of movement, you know, so it's like I want to um, 
I want to introduce that into, into the conversation. Um, I think that to go back to something you touched on earlier about, you know, the appealing to an international, you know, an international body such as uh, the UN, um, I don't think that the instinct of prisoners is at all wrong to try to get, you know, attention from someone outside of, you know, the traditional um the the traditional systems that we have you know in place already um the doj especially this doj uh is unlikely to be sympathetic uh to these kinds of pleas and we're seeing how you know and, and you highlighted uh the retaliatory you know um tactics that prisoner or prisons take against prisoners when they do contest um, the torturous conditions uh, inside of inside of the prisons, and then you talked about you know the the diet. Um, the diet is really important, uh, an important dimension of this, and in, in terms of overall health care and, and well being, because people are not getting um, the nutrients that they need uh, in their food to help them live healthy lives, right? So it's the compounding effects of all of these different things, not to mention the psychological and the emotional um, toll that being in isolation, that not having access to sunlight, that not being able to go outside, to being, you know, having restricted movements and all of these other things already has on on a person. So, you know, we're compounding the negative effects of this stuff by saying, okay, well, we're going to um, take these, you know, horrible, uh, these horrible uh, extremes or go to horrible extremes to torture people even more um, than they already are being tortured by being in prison. So um, I'd like to ask you if in your, in, in your estimation, um, what do you think needs to happen? And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the first, I just want to say that all of the, the points that you raised, thank you for raising them. Um, I think that, you know, that is, Kelly Hayes wrote a really good piece on this for truth out and got some testimonials and statements of solidarity from um, Miriam Kaba, Kianga Yamada Taylor, Alan Mills um, about this. And all of them really highlight, right, the same thing that you're talking about, that um, while there's specific dimensions to this in South Carolina, like it mirrors a lot of, uh, you know, harmful, torturous policy that's happening all over the United States. Um, and a lot of it, as you mentioned, does have to do with um, solitary, the shoe, restrictive housing units, um, you know, all of these other, um, and prisons in general, right? And, and, and like you said, even the prison yard, right? The, the idea of that. So um, I think that, you know, in terms of what needs to happen, um, you know, I think people need to take very seriously what prisoners are telling the world and have been telling the world for years now in terms of what they need. Um, and I think that when they do that, they would realize that they're asking for very reasonable things. Um, and that has been the case since 
you know, forever, right? I mean, it's been the case since Attica um, and, and further back as well, I'm sure. But in recent years, when you look at the demands of the national prison strike, um, when you look at the demands of this letter, um, these are not <laughs> these are not unrealistic steps to begin to take um, to shift from spending all of our money. And South Carolina has spent a ridiculous amount of money on a war against cell phones. South Carolina's main um, push for the last several years has been to get cell phone jammers installed in all South Carolina prisons and to push the federal government to enact policy that would enable them to do that in all prisons in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and the purpose of that, they claim, right, is to stop uh, prisoners from coordinating um, drug sales and illegal activity, coordinating hits on corrections officers, you know, that Sort of stuff is what they claim. Um, but I firmly believe that their greatest intent is to take away the access of prisoners to actually be able to sort of broadcast their conditions publicly. Um, because I think that that ability has over the last several years created, um, along with a, a, a strong trajectory of abolition activity that's going on the outside, um, that those things, and those things are speaking to each other all the time, right? And they're mm -hmm. always, um, you know, moving together. Um, and I think that, you know, that's really the, the end game for them is, is, is repression, is repression of that ability to, to share, you know, I mean, recently I, I was reading through some stuff today, looking at, um, some South Carolina, pieces and some and some prisoner suggestions um, over the years. And like one of the suggestions was actually that prisons just sell cell phones in the commissary, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and so that prisoners can just have access to cell phones, like stop trying to to fight it. If somebody commits a crime on a cell phone, it's still a crime, right? They're still going to obviously be accountable to that. Um, but, well, I mean, but, you know, it's just... Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I, that's just one, those are some of the things, you know, I mean, obviously, like you both, uh, you know, I am an abolitionist, so <laughs> I will be in this fight until there are no more prisons left. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think that they, the, and, and this is something, I do want to highlight one thing specifically, is that South Carolina in particularly is extremely full of shit on these issues, right? And so they, they, if you go on their Twitter feed, which I spent a good amount of time on this week. Um, you are and a just better look, man than I am. Oh my God. And just, just look at the human. last couple of years, you know, you have them touting their, you know, amazing collaborations at, with the Vera Institute, you know, with, uh, you know, these, these, the programming and all of this bullshit, right? And there's nothing, there's not a single tweet, um, you know, talking about the conditions, talking about, you know, alleviating this. Um, it's interesting. I do think this campaign is already putting pressure on them. Um, mm -hmm. And I say that, I say that for a couple of reasons. One is that prisoners have begun to report that um, people, that, 
basically a seven to 10 inch slice of these metal plates has been cut off so that a small amount of light is coming into the cells now. Now that's, that's really more insult, right? Than it is anything else, but, um, but it also shows that this, this campaign has drawn attention to something that they feel like they need to respond to in some way. Um, and, you know, maybe it was the, the connection to the Mandela laws around, you know, light and air coming into a cell. Uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure. Um, but in tandem to that, Kelly Hayes, Kelly Hayes from Truth Out also sent um, an email to a information officer for SCDC asking about the metal plates on windows. And her response was that they are all coming down. It's just going to take some time. Now, <laughs> I shared that with a prisoner inside, and he just laughed for like 30 seconds. And he said to me, he said, if they wanted them to come down, they could come down today. Exactly. They said, because, they said because they didn't put them up. Exactly. They had, they, they had prisoners put them up. Mm -hmm. And so all they would need to do is tell the prisoners who work in maintenance to go take them all down, and they would all be down. Exactly. So, you know, these are the sort of absurd games that they play and the kind of propaganda wars that they're engaged in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think like for, for organizations like Vera Institute too, um, I think it's really disgusting that they will help promote um, this character unit that they have at uh, one of the facilities. And people are literally, you know, dying in these facilities, right? Um, because of the conditions that exist in the other units on the yard. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know, like, there's, you know, I don't know behind closed doors if there's some discussion about that, but like, that, you know, I, I just think, and, I'm, and it's not to say I don't think that we, I do think that all the units should be a character unit, right? Like, I do think that all the units should have the programming and the resources. Um, but I, I certainly, you know, the way that it operates in South Carolina and from, you know, I talk to prisoners who are not in those units, right? And they will say that everything, that every resource that the, pro, that the prisons have are concentrated in that one unit and that mm -hmm. all, of the other, all of the other four or five on the yard get nothing. Exactly. And so then that unit becomes essentially a propaganda front for SCDC to say, look at the amazing things that we're doing. Exactly. Um, and, and, and at the same time, the overwhelming majority of the prisoners don't have any access to any of that. Exactly. Um, and and it's, so, I mean, it's not just in South Carolina, that's across, uh, across yep. the country. Um, and, yep. you know, it's, it's something that, again, over and over again, I ha I've had these conversations with so many different people about, you know, it's like they're, they're always waiting, you know, to level up or, you know, to get their points and so that they can move to, you know, a building where they will have access to more programs, right? So, and programs could mean one program, right? But that's not available to everyone in the prison. And I know we we had this discussion on the podcast, um, you know, previously uh, around, you know, programming and, and who gets who gets to be 
in the programs because, you know, contrary to what people think, when when people are demanding, when prisoners are demanding access to programs and prisons basically say, look, but we have these programs over here. Those programs are for a very small number of prisoners and they're used in a way to, um, to incentivize you know, kinds of uh, different kinds of behaviors that they want to see in exchange for some prisoners getting into those programs while excluding a large number of other prisoners, right? So, you know, I know in Delaware, um, for prisoners that, you know, have a year left on their sentence, they're the ones who get priority for programs, right? So, the people who are getting out are the ones that are getting access to the programs. The people who have, you know, life sentences or have, you know, 20, 30 years, which might as well be a life sentence um, or is a life sentence if you're thinking about it in in terms of age and what have you, um, that those folks don't have access to those things. So, you know, the message is that those people don't matter that we don't need to do anything for them and that the people that will have access are the ones who are on the verge of getting out. And then there are all kinds, I mean, we I could get into the whole discussion of, you know, um, how they get around making sure that even those folks um, don't end up in programs or are kind of weeded out from being eligible to stay in those programs on all kinds of bullshit. But um, I wanted to go back to your point uh, around, you know, these uh, sort of, you know, organizations um, that, you know, claim to be um, trying to end mass incarceration and what have you. Um, And you mentioned one already, Uh, you know, the, the, how do I even put it? The goal of these organizations is not in any way to reduce the prison population or to end, you know, mass incarceration as it currently stands. The goal of many of these organizations is to perpetuate their own lifespan. Uh, So these organizations, if they, they should be trying to put themselves out of business, right? So as long as prisons exist, these programs get funding, they get a lot of money, they're very high profile, they hire hundreds and hundreds of people across the country, they put out reports that people quote and cite and you name it, right? So there's a, they're a huge part of the overall problem that we have when we're talking about, you know, abolishing, um, abolishing prisons. Right. So they've co-opted the language of, you know, um, or they've taken a language of reform and are kind of flirting with abolition language and saying that they're trying to end something when, in fact, that's not what they're doing. And when you see, you know, and you talk to prisoners or you talk to their families or you talk to, you know, anyone who's doing work in this space, um, they'll tell you, it's like, no, this is, you know, this is a front, right? This is basically serving as kind of, this is theater and it gives 
the prisons a lot of cover in terms of what they get to do because the prisons still get to operate, you know, unchecked. Um, and as you pointed out, South Carolina is but one example. So I would urge folks who are, you know, captivated by these kinds of organizations to really scrutinize their work, um, to think more deeply and critically about what these organizations claim as opposed to what is actually happening on the ground and to start engaging with prisoners um, and activists on the outside who are saying, well, wait a minute, no, this is also a problem. Now that's probably going to get us in trouble and lose some listeners. I really don't care. Um, I, I'm, that's where I am right now. But um, your other point that you made uh, much earlier than that uh, around the, you know, selling phones, right, and having contraband and things like that. And like you said, you know, this is all bullshit. But I wanted to come back to that point because, you know, it's so once the prison can figure out how they can profit off of, you know, prisoners and not even prisoners, but, you know, offload that cost onto families and, and other folks on the outside, um, we'll see them, you know, selling phones because why not? You know, it's like people can make calls on the tablets. Uh, and the, I mean, the cost for using the tablets is a lot higher than the cost for using the phone, right? So there's this idea that the prisons don't want them to have these things. Of course they do. If the prison is going to, you know, um, to profit off of this, absolutely. Absolutely. They're going to find a way um, to introduce that. But then this is also, as with tablets and video visits and all of these other technologies, these things become the kind of precursors to trying to cut back on visitation. Uh, and, you know, it's like we have to be thinking at least 10 steps ahead when, you know, they're introducing these kinds of technologies. And yeah, it makes things easier. People, you know, are bored as fuck inside. They want to play video games and all of this stuff. And they've figured out how to, um, you know, give them access to some things while denying access to a lot of other things. Uh, and of course, they can do that with with phones. But anyway, I don't know if any, I didn't have a question. I yeah. just wanted to, well, to comment back I, on those things. Yeah. And I do have, a, you know, some thoughts on that too. And I, and I mean, I think that, you know, it was a prisoner who was stating this in regards to like the quote unquote cell phone problem, right. Within South Carolina. But I think that the, the point that you're making is strong. And I, and I think that and and my understanding is they are going to get tablets soon in South Carolina, right? And then I think a lot of the the focus around cell phones will go away. And I think that the 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 point is though that not only that they can profit off of them and exploit prisoners and their families around them in a variety of ways and cut down visitation and 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 programming, right? As a result of this, um, which is which are all negative impacts, um, but also that they they can monitor it and manage the access, right? And so um, that's the, again, right? It becomes a way to restrict the ability of prisoners to have, what they don't want is prisoners with unmanaged 
access. They don't want prisoners that have any form um, of freedom, of freedom of expression mm -hmm. um, that, that, can, that can bring light to the negative conditions. Um, and even when they introduce tablets, you do see these cases crop up where these, these you know, uh, yeah, I mean, cases, I guess, is a way to describe them, but basically these in incidents where prisoners figure out a way to um, get around the firewall or, uh, you know, something else, right? And and then that becomes a, a kind of scandal or fiasco, right? Because it's, it's all about um, having a very authoritarian control over um, what prisoners can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, to the, you know, I think I was thinking about this recently, right, because the prior to the Prison Litigation Reform Act, um, the the trial was one of the areas in which prisoners were raising the conditions within prisons, right? They were, they would, they would litigate cases around abuses, around human rights violations within the courts. Um, and that became the, the space which they could testify. Um, and that was taken away in the 90s with the Prison Litigation Reform Act, which basically said all of this is frivolous. You know, we don't want prisoners having access to the courts um, except for their basic appeals and things like that. Um, and they'll have an internal grievance process within prisons, which is, of course, a total sham. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you all have talked about that on the show, too. Um, you know, and so then this the the introduction of the cell phone to the prison became um a big phenomenon really you know one of the first things was the georgia work strikes in in 2010 um you know obviously there was the california hunger strikes uh you mm -hmm. know in in you know and and you know brian obviously you've done a lot of reporting over the years um connected to stuff that was you know revealed via via electronic devices in prisons by prisoners and so you know they they really want to shut that down mm -hmm. um and um that that is the end game and i think that i fear that they may be close and, and that's yeah. you know i think that that um is something that people really need to be vigilant on it's not going to be an issue i don't think that a lot of people will care about when it comes out um but they should because um it will it will be again a restriction of anything resembling free speech for prisoners and even with cell phones prisoners don't have free speech because they no. they face retaliation for anything that they um they share mm -hmm. but they've figured out ways right to organize with this to um to share information they figured you know organizers and journalists on the outside that care have have worked to develop ways to protect prisoners that are sharing information. Um, and I think that, you know, there has been a positive movement around that generally. And, and I'm, I'm fearful that with the work that South Carolina is doing with the FCC, that we may be approaching the area where um, prisons are all given basically a, a device that can manage access to block cell phone signals within yep. prison and then that will go away right um and and then we'll be back to essentially the dark ages again um you know within u.s prisons so i just want to quickly just put a bow on 
on you know the last uh, few back and forths that you and Kim had there, you know, talking about the conditions, the resources, the decisions on where to put those resources, you know, funding choices, the focus on contraband, um, the control, the profit. And I want to just put a bow on all of that by just mentioning that very like today, the day that we're recording this, I think it's September or sorry, September, God, November 16th, um, the South Carolina Department of Corrections asked for over $100 million in their new budget. Uh, and none of that money, as I'm sure shocks the both of you, has anything to do with uh, access to sunlight, conditions, programming. Um, the money is for staffing, for equipment, which includes weapons, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, for the these sort of new cutting edge technologies, like you were mentioning, you know, everything from jammers to they also have drones and they've put nets up at some prisons to try to catch drones. I saw something about the corrections uh, Department of Corrections saying that people were starting to use potato guns to launch contraband over the prison walls. Um, and so for this, the Department of Corrections is responding to all of this to, you know, this prisoner organizing, uh, so on and so forth, with a request for $100 million for more staff, more weapons, pay raises, um, and not a word or even an acknowledgement of, you know, the organizing that uh, the prisoners are are doing right now. Um, And so, yeah, I just wanted to add that that news came out today, um, just to sort of underscore everything you guys were just saying and put, put it in that context. Um, and just, you know, this, this cycle that we've talked about again and again on this show of uh, rock bottom conditions, followed by uprisings, followed by violent repression and reactionary, uh, you know, reform or legislation or reform or budget requests such as this one, which then in turn lead to worsening conditions, uprisings and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, and I, none I, of those yeah. things, and none of those things that they're asking for actually contributes to addressing any of the problems that lead people to being in prison. So, no, it's a pretext for more money and more repression, is what yeah, it all is. You know, get folks talking around. What else could we do with a hundred million dollars? budgets to increase the prison or uh, expanding their budget and expanding their, you know, staffs and all of that stuff is just fucking infuriating Um, when people are asking for some really basic things. I mean, putting more money in, and I'm obviously, obviously uh, improving the conditions for people that are currently inside while we're working to dismantle um, this system is important. Uh, I'd also like to see those funds directed to things that, you know, keep people from going to prison uh, and to support people that are coming out of prison. Uh, Too many people are coming out that have nowhere to, to live. Uh, that don't have access to health care uh, or to any of the supports that they need that, you know, will keep them from going back in. Too many people can't get jobs. I mean, that $100 million could really go a long way to changing 
the material conditions of people that are targeted for surveillance and monitoring and for incarceration. And we could really change the game. Instead, we're going to get much more of the same. We're expanding, you know, the the carceral apparatus in, you know, South Carolina as we are in other places around the country. And yeah, I mean, I think that being involved in understanding where the monies go um, and you know, being involved in the the policies, um, the public policies at the state level is an important part of this kind of work. I don't know. Any thoughts, Jay? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you all said, and I'm not at all surprised to hear that. Um, I mean, the you know, the really messed up thing about South Carolina, not, I mean, I could make a list, of course, but, you know, is that the reality is that this prison regime under Brian Sterling is very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very well supported by the governor. Um, he gets kudos, like I said, from the Vera Institute and other organizations. Um, it is touted sometimes as a model of progressive reform, um, you know, and so it's it's really disgusting um to see those contradictions and to, to actually talk to prisoners and their families um you know and to see how far that is from the reality for people so you know it is a it's kind of an exercise in public relations and um just pure evil um i the one thing i do i you know i know that i have to i have to go soon but um on an even more somber note, uh, I just want to note for the listeners that in terms of the the direness of the this campaign um, and how correct the the prisoners that have pushed this and the organizers that have been working on this are in in trying to highlight what's going on, um, is that ten prisoners have died since October third in South Carolina. Wow. Um, and uh, I don't just want them to be a statistic, so I am going to read their name. Please. Um, so it's Anthony Conyers, uh, Dejan Burgess, Michael Edwards, Stephen Allison, Edward Nelson, Richard Patterson, Alton Craig Ellensburg, Ellenberg, um, Alan Fulton, Richard Henson, and uh, just today, Brittany Bunch. Um, Wow. You know, five of them, uh, these are causes of death reported from SCDC. So you have to, of course, take them with a huge grain of salt. But um, five of them, they ruled uh, suicides initially, two of them accidental overdoses, two homicides, um, one no cause of death, no foul play suspected, uh, hmm. which is obviously a specifically dubious designation given that the the person who died was 36 years old, um, you know, and and so by my count, six people died in the month of October, uh, which I think made it the, um, I you know I haven't confirmed this totally. I've been trying to pull all the information, but I think it was the deadliest month in South Carolina since uh, the Lee. You know, with seven people died wow. in one day, Lee, um, and 
you know, so this is happening. My my point in just raising this is that prisoners are absolutely right in terms of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it was this was a year that South Carolina was touting again of like because they had a record number of suicides in 2017, and you know they had 17 that year, um, and um, you know they've touted that they've made all of these structural changes and things are getting so much better, and and then you know, 10 people die in like 45 days. Um, And so I I think that that, you know, again, like listening to what prisoners are saying and what they're asking and telling that they need. um, And they're not, they're really not asking. I mean, literally they're asking for like sunlight, food and water. um, And and programming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think that that's, obviously that is not, you know, these are not, this is why I get so frustrated when people say things like abolitionists don't, abolitionists don't care about prison conditions. <laughs> um, you know, these, these are not even abolitionist demands, right? These are just basic recognizing the humanity, you know, of, of people that are inside. Um, and, and that is abolitionist work, of course. Um, but I think that, you know, sadly, like a lot of times the reform efforts like you say, that are supposedly, you know, tout themselves as caring so much about prison conditions. You know, you're putting together this this nice-looking character unit with multicolored doors painted by paint donated by Lowe's, um, you know, and you're putting it on a yard where, where people are, you know, just can't even live. Um, so it's, it's really yeah. bad, and I, I do hope that, you know, we can continue to uh, raise this campaign. I hope that uh, we do get some response from the UN um, and that South Carolina is forced to change some of its practices. Um, and I hope that that, it, you know, I, my hope would be that that becomes a model that also that other people start to look at. Um, because I think that, you know, that any prison system in this country, if you have a group of activists and organizers that look at the conditions, they would be able to find violations of international laws and international standards Absolutely. Um, that are present. And, you know, mm-hmm. those are contradictions that we have to raise if we want to try to change those things. Um, you know, and I think we mm-hmm. can do that with, without advocating for building new prisons or, you know, any bullshit like that. We can do that uh, just by trying to, you know, continue to to raise those issues and fight for them at every level. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I think in terms of that, that is, that's the work that's that's going on around this. Um, You know, again, I do want to shout out um, the IWAC chapters, Fight Toxic Prisons, um, who've really pushed this, the the international, you know, organizers that pushed it in London and Jamaica. um, And, you know, I, I think that the the beautiful aspect of it is that there are um, increasingly a lot of people on the outside um, that are getting involved, are building relationships with uh, prisoners and families. A lot of them are family members. Um, and that those types of coalitions um, that are kind of inside, outside, and struggle together around this stuff do have the ability to make change. 
Absolutely. Is there anything um, that uh, folks can do directly, uh, folks that are at home and listening to this episode and that want to get involved uh, or want to support uh, these efforts? What are, you know, what's one or two things that people can do? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I don't know 100% what the next steps will be, but I know that Fight Toxic, the campaign to fight toxic prisons um, is is one organization that will be at the forefront of um, continuing to, to push around this. Um, the IWOC chapters that were most involved in this were, I think, D.C. Um, and then Florida and a couple organizers uh, in Oakland and some other places. So yeah, I think the the campaign to fight toxic prisons um, is a, is an organization to follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I think IWOC, the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, um, they're one to follow, and they'll continue to push updates. If there's you know we've done a couple of phone zaps around it, um, we'll probably do some more stuff like that to try to put pressure and make sure that. SCDC knows that a lot of people are are watching and want them to make some of these basic changes. Um, and then, you know, again, there there is still this look for support around um, kind of the logistics, whether there's a, a an attorney or a paralegal that's familiar with um, international human rights law. That is something that is desired right now. Um, and so they could reach out to me on Twitter or or to fight toxic campaign to fight toxic prisons as well. Jay, thank you so All much. Right. <laughs> it was great talking to you, um, and I really appreciate everything you're doing. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.